Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm. Here are your hosts, experienced lawyers, writers, and entrepreneurs, Heidi Alexander and Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to what promises to be another fantastic episode of the Legal Toolkit on Legal Talk Network. Before we get started in earnest, we want to thank our sponsor, Scorpion, who delivers award-winning law firm web design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms, just like yours, to attract new cases and to grow their practices. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Amicus Attorney, the world's leading practice management solution for lawyers. Amicus Attorney helps manage your law firm so that you can concentrate on being a lawyer. To learn more, visit amicusattorney.com. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you'll become a long-time listener. And if you're my brother, you owe me 20 bucks, so pay up. I'm your host, Jerry Correa, and in addition to casting this pod, I'm the Assistant Director and Senior Law Practice Advisor at the Massachusetts Law Office Management Assistance Program. That's a lot, so we call it LOMAP for short, where we provide free and confidential law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP's offerings, visit our website at masslomap.org. You can buy my book, Twitter in One Hour for Lawyers, on iTunes, at Amazon, and at Magic Forest Books in Centerville, Iowa. If you're desirous of more podcasting goodness, check out our Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Show, where we release monthly episodes featuring legal marketing experts. Here on the Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. In this episode, we're going to talk about the art of the deal. And before you ask, no, we're not interviewing Donald Trump. We're interviewing someone much, much better. Yes. This is going to be huge. That's right. And you just heard him right there. Our guest today is Jeff B. Cohen. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, um, yeah, what can I say? You know, top of the food chain, happy to be here. Uh, yeah, uh, tr- <laughs> Trump, Trump, I guess you booked him initially, but I guess he's tied up or something. So. Yeah, Trump fell through, so we called you. <laughs> it's actually funny. I'm an entertainment lawyer, and... Sometimes when I'm, you know, we do scripted, non-scripted film, television, you know, music, etc. And sometimes when I'm on calls with executives in the non-scripted world, I always yell at everyone about Trump. I'm like, we're all responsible for this. We're all responsible for this. <laughs> Gosh, now everyone I feel bad. Reality, I'm responsible TV, for Donald us, Trump. Man. This oh, is good. on us. Oh, yeah. I think, anyway. I think that's true. I think yep. that's good. Sorry. The destruction of America is based on reality TV. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> yes, yes. Not supporting Trump this year. <laughs> so let me tell the people a little bit about you, Jeff, sure. and then we're going to get into a Q&A. So Jeff is a partner at the Beverly Hills-based law firm of Cohen Gardner, LLP. Jeff is a prominent entertainment lawyer, as he just said, and former child actor as well. He's best known for playing Chunk in the classic flick Goonies. Variety has named Jeff Cohen to the Dealmaker's Impact List. Additionally, he's been profiled by The Hollywood Reporter, The ABA Journal, Chambers Associate, Law Crossing, and others. An active writer, Jeff has authored numerous articles discussing business technology and entertainment matters for some places you may have heard of, like the Huffington Post, CNBC, Backstage, and Lawyerist. All right, Jeff, let's get into it. Yes, and also, uh, also have a book. Got to plug the book. 
plug the book. Go ahead. Yeah, I also um, recently for the American Bar Association, actually uh, last year, uh, published a book called The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, Ten Essential Tools for Business Forged in the Trenches of Hollywood. And that is basically, you know, kind of my how to, you know, negotiate great deals, manage your time, handle crisis. You know, the big idea being that, you know, success is life on your own terms. How do you find it? And then how do you negotiate those terms? So Dealmaker's Ten Commandments. I will be plugging it throughout the uh, throughout the uh, uh, interview. Check it out on Amazon, Kindle, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. or audiobook. I can read it to you if you love this beautiful <laughs> voice. I will actually, if you're that lazy, I will actually read you the book while you're on the elliptical, getting uh, bedtime story. Your goal weight. I will read you the book. Anyway, but we got off topic. Forward by Donald Trump. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we had a falling out. We had a falling out. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we get into that, because I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about the book, can we sure. do the chunk thing first? Sure, of course. Because I, I think this is it's really not easy cool. being so a cultural icon. I'm happy to, uh, you know, I'm happy to uh, deal with this. Deal with this issue. Yeah, we all have our crosses to bear, right? This just happens <laughs> to be yours. It's a heavy weight, man. You know, when a generation <laughs> depends on you culturally, when you are the Jerry Garcia of your generation. It's yes. hard. Yes. But what do you do? What you're do you the, do? You're the you know? glue. You're the glue of an entire generation. I am the mayo in the turkey sandwich of Gen X, and it's not easy. <laughs> Very. Anyways, yes. Happy to discuss. I'll tell you. I, I, I feel like I feel like Nestle owes you a debt of gratitude. You've you've done way more for Baby Ruth than Ruth Cleveland ever did. Uh, we, we, yeah. Well, th- thank you. <laughs> nice pull, Ruth Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Wow. I I, ha- I, I know how man. to search stuff on Wikipedia. <laughs> nice. That's good, man. You can use that one. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, I like that Ruth Cleveland. <laughs> so let me ask you about the movie, right? Sure. So this is obviously a cultural icon. You're a cultural icon. Well, when you were filming that movie, did you ever anticipate that it would be as huge as it has become? I think my focus when I now I did the movie when I was ten, uh, back when the yep. world was young in 1985. <laughs> I had hair. It was a long, long time ago. Um, I think <laughs> I think at the time my focus was really uh, what we call in the showbiz craft service table. Are you guys familiar with that term? <laughs> yeah, that but you can you can get into some detail if people don't know. So craft service is basically there's um all day long they have a table filled with awesome food so we all can stuff our face and there's like nice chips, <laughs> nice dips, maybe some you know some nice deli spreads, maybe some candy oh, yeah. bars, uh, some delicious nuts. So as a fat kid, I was like, I can't believe I've hit the jackpot. I literally can eat all day. <laughs> like no one's stopping me, you know. Uh, I'm the breadwinner. I'm going to just camp out by the craft service table. I hope I'm not in any scenes today because I want to <laughs> eat my weight in cashews, and this is the day I'm going to do it. So I was more focused on the free food, I think, than <laughs> the lasting legacy of my performance. But what do you do? That sounds pretty sweet. I like All that, right. though. I'm only That's being good. Real. Yeah, I'm only being real. Yeah. <laughs> that was like training for the role, though, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you know? right. That's right. That's legit. <laughs> you, if you thin out, man, that's, that's it. I did, and that was the end of my career, man. Oh, that's the worst thing for a fat kid. You can't uh, hit puberty. You're out. <laughs> but beyond the Goonies, man, so in addition to being able to look stuff up on Wikipedia, I also yep. look stuff on IMDb up yep. from time to time. Sure. So you also appeared on like Family Ties, The Facts of Life, Webster. I mean, your agent was like all over the 80s. It was impressive. It wasn't just, you know, an episode of Webster it was a special episode of Webster. So I want to oh. correct you, Jared. I don't want to be that guy. My but, bad. You know, My I mean, bad. it was no, a you special do it. 
Do you recall special episodes? Because I don't. Do they do special yeah. episodes now? No, I don't. Well, they probably do because all the TV now is '80s TV anyway, rebooted, right? Well, I love. Okay, so I love the idea of a special episode, meaning for the uninformed, uh, for the uninitiated, it's basically you have a situation comedy, and they've run out of jokes, so they can't. They have no more jokes. The writers have no more jokes left in them, so they have to do an episode where something terrible happens. Someone gets hit by a car. Someone robs a bank, you know, and, and, and gets arrested. You know, something yeah, yeah. awful happens. So yeah, yes. that was kind of my specialty. Like the Punky Brewster episode where the kid gets locked in the refrigerator. Oh, yeah, Cherry I'm still gets traumatized locked in the by fridge, that. man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's bad news. I still can't walk within 20 feet of a refrigerator. <laughs> so you're, so do, you have, do you have like kind of little coolers? I mean, like, what do you have? Like those little weird. I just, you know, have, like, I just have like 50 coolers on the floor in my house. That's it. You know, wow, Punky man. Brewster scarred me for life. It's it the, power not good. <laughs> the power of media. Power of media. So we're doing like a legal podcast. So let me yeah. ask you this. Cool. You decided to leave acting and then go to law school. What, why well, did you make that Does anyone ever decide decision? to go to law school? Does, does anyone ever like, this is what I want to do? Just, you know, <laughs> other than like Abe nah, Lincoln kind of or something who just like didn't even go to law school. Just didn't even like read law school books like they were left in yeah. barrels or something at the, yes. on, on the mayor. Yes. No, like many other lawyers out there, I, it was, uh, I became a lawyer for lack of any other viable alternative. <laughs> it was process of elimination. I'm 5'4", so, you know, sports, out of the question. Um, You know, that's not going to happen. But you're probably wiry. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, thank you. Yes, yes. But again, you know, when you're known as the fat kid, when you hit puberty and start thinning out, you're dead. You're dead. The casting agents bring you in. They just look on you. You're like, no, I get fatter. Why isn't he fat anymore? They're like, I get fatter. And they're like, no, you're not fat enough. Get out of here. So basically, so I acted, um, you know, for a while. When I was a kid, you know, hit puberty, uh, you know, still wanted to act, but I kind of like couldn't do it. I couldn't get gigs, so I had to figure something else out. For me, I was really fortunate in that the director of Goonies is a guy named Richard Donner, who's the best. And Dick Donner directed, you know, the original Superman with Christopher Reeves, you know, uh, him and his wife, Lauren Schuler Donner, who's a marvelous and and talented producer, you know, produced all the X-Men films. You know, he directed The Omen, you know, Goonies, uh, you know, uh, all the lethal Lethal Weapon, too, yeah. right? Yeah, One, yeah. two, three, yeah. and four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I've seen the first three. <laughs> and, well, is there a fourth one? Maybe there wasn't. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps. Who knows? But Dick Donner was really, um, I was very fortunate in that he took me under his wing when I couldn't get work as an actor and was like, hey, kid, you know, don't be an actor. It's stupid. You know, uh, do something else. You know, you're not going to make it. Um, <laughs> get a real very, job. <laughs> yeah, precisely. And so, so he let me work for him as a production assistant at Warner Brothers oh. and... You know, and then as I got older, he would help get me little jobs at the studio in different departments to kind of figure it out. And what I saw, you know, because I loved entertainment and I wanted to find a way to contribute, I found that a lot of people in entertainment had a legal background, you know, whether they were, you know, business affairs executives. So those are attorneys at studios that negotiate deals on behalf of the studios or, you know, producers or agents or managers having this legal background seemed to be helpful. So that was why I went to law school and I went to um, Berkeley undergraduate, then UCLA for law. Uh, focus in business law, and I started working at Universal Studios in the 
television department. And then eventually, a couple years after that, said, you know, I want to do my own thing and started my own law firm in Beverly Hills called Cohen Gardner in 2002. And yeah, I am a transactional entertainment lawyer. So basically, I'll represent artists and production companies and technology companies and negotiate their deals for media-related properties, whether it's books or television or digital or film or whatever. So, you know, so it's, um, look, Acting's the best job ever. Again, I mentioned the, the craft service table. Did I talk about yes, the craft service yes, table? Yes, you did. Okay, you good. talked a little bit about it. <laughs> so, so I mean, I mean, like, I think acting is the greatest job ever. You get craft service. You get to travel. You get to play make believe. It's the best. <laughs> you know, it's just working consistently is, is the troubling part. Yeah, so, yeah, mean, yeah. My joke about it is, you know, look, I get to, you know, I still get to go to the parties, but I don't have to like audition anymore. So, you know, there's upside. I miss it. I miss it. But, uh, but there is upside. So, yeah, but I mean, there's so many lawyers out there who are envious of your current position. I'm sure it sounds like a great gig if you're going to be a lawyer. You know what? I like it. I mean, I like transactional generally, you know, because I first, you know, any attempt at litigation, I was just not good at it. I just didn't have the, you know, I just didn't have a good skill set for that. And what I like about transactions, whether it's entertainment or corporate or whatever, is that at the end of the deal, you know, there's a deal. You know, hopefully everyone makes some money or, you know, something gets created and everyone's happy. So for me personally, That's and again, always I mean, good. I'm not knocking litigation. It's, you know, remarkably important and challenging. Oh, I understand. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. just for me personally, I, I do, you know, transactions just kind of came naturally. It just kind of made sense. Yeah, that's legit. This has been really exciting so far, I have to say. I'm so excited. You can't see me right now, but I'm doing the truffle shuffle. Well, nice. For real. Wow, I can hear yes. it. I can hear it. I'm sliding back and forth a little bit. I visited the craft services table earlier today. Nice. But, um, you got to fatten up to do it right. Sometimes skinny people I know, people I know. I got to gain some weight. It's not cool. Not cool. No, it's not good. Not good no. at all. <laughs> mm. So now let's talk about your book. As you said before, it's called The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, yep. Ten Essential Tools for Business Forged in the Trenches of Hollywood. People pick that up. So tell me, for lawyers who don't necessarily understand what that means, what does it mean to be a dealmaker in the context of a law practice? Sure. It's funny, actually. Dealmaker's Commandment 9 is be a dealmaker, not a deal breaker. And then kind of in that commandment, which sounds simple, but I, I think it's actually important. I kind of in that chapter with commandment nine, I kind of go through what a deal maker is. And, you know, part of the ethos of a deal maker is, uh, you know, to steal the line from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, it's ABC, you know, ABC, yeah, yeah. always be closing, always be closing, always be closing. You know, the point of you know, being a real deal maker is not to show everyone in the room how smart you are or, you know, how, you know, you know, how loud you can yell or how dramatic your <laughs> argument can be. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, ultimately, it's like you rise and fall by being able to close deals. And even though things can get very, you know, fuzzy and acrimonious and get really tense, you always have to have in mind, you know, you have to kind of be counsel to the situation and say, hey, you know, how can we get a transaction closed if it makes sense? Now, in certain situations, you know, a, a transaction may not make sense. But for the most part, your ethos needs to be ABC, always be closing, always be closing. Yeah, that's good. So see how our tone has come down when we stopped talking about Hollywood? We were really excited <laughs> to talk about Punky Brewster. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I now, mean that yeah, I mean, I'm... Uh, you know, it's funny. You're, you're, you know, what you said about the refrigerators kind of does make sense. You know, maybe, maybe I also <laughs> need to focus more on coolers than the refrigerator because Cherry did get trapped <laughs> in that thing. 
<laughs> That's right. Yeah. Watch your ass. There's always yeah. a refrigerator around the corner. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit about the sources of inspiration for your book. So, sure. One, I think, is probably your time that you spent in Hollywood. You've been an sure. actor. You've been a lawyer in town. How did that inform sort of your notions of deal-making? Sure. Um, I mean, I think for my law practice generally, the fact that, you know, when I was a kid, I was on the other side of the camera, it made me realize, you know, I guess I view entertainment in less of an academic, you know, manner or deal making generally in less of an academic manner because when it's you and you've worked so hard to get this deal, you know, by the time it gets to my desk as a lawyer, you know, the agent has worked hard, the performer has worked hard, the manager has worked hard, you know, just realizing how delicate these deals are and to not be cavalier with them, you know, to understand, mm-hmm. wow, this is mm-hmm. someone's life. And this is someone's, you know, art. This is someone's profession. You know, you're holding something that's very delicate. And, you know, you have not been a part of the, the process all the way, you know. Basically, there's been a whole chapter of how or, or more of how this deal got to your desk. So I think that's part of it. With the book generally, and I wrote it, I wrote The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments. I'm a big fan of business books, you know, and kind of, you know, philosophy yeah. and Mencken and Nietzsche and Machiavelli, oh. et cetera. Um, so yes. I wrote it as a general business book because I'm a fan of those books, you know, to hopefully help other attorneys and, you know, business people generally kind of give them an insight into my methodology for, you know, negotiating great deals, managing your time, handling crisis, and kind of having like an intellectual foundation and the methodology to kind of plug into their business or their practice if they're an attorney. Yeah, and so I think you uh, you related it just now, but let's move on and talk about another one of your inspirations, which was sort of Machiavelli's The Prince, right? Which yes. is kind of hardcore. I mean, well, it is. The guy in that book was kind of a badass. So, how does that affect your philosophy on deal making? Well, it's funny actually. In the beginning of the book, I start the book off with a warning, a quote uh, from a guy named Thomas Fuller, which is, "Good and great are seldom the same man," hmm. and. You know, the idea is this is a book about being great. It's not a book about being good. And they're two separate ideas. And I also go on to say, look, the tactics that I advocate in this book are hardcore and they comport with my experience in business. And they are supposed to be used for business. They are not used for, you know, relationships, for personal relationships. <laughs> yes, or around you know, the dinner table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pre- precisely. Or pets or, uh, you know. Yes. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, or grandmas or whatever, like, 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 like these, these like kind of, you know, rules of power as it were, or kind of analyzing the power dynamic and which buttons to press are not for, you know, personal use. It's for professional use. And for me, yeah. when I was a kid actor and I couldn't get work anymore, I was fortunate in that I went to high school in the San Fernando Valley in LA where I grew up in Woodland Hills, Taft High, go Toreadors. And I was in this honors program where as a senior in high school, I could take a class at UCLA. So I took political science because I figured, hey, what do washed out actors, where, where can they actually <laughs> succeed in, in California? And politics, I was like, politics, of course. Man. I was like, you got Reagan, you know, Schwarzenegger eventually, you know, like this is, you know. That's right. Uh, I like this, this. Maybe this is the angle. You know, I, I can't get the fat kid parts anymore, but maybe there's something else I could do. And I read The Prince and you know, the book, The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli, written in the early Italian Renaissance. And it's kind of, you know, his hardcore rule book, you know, how-to book for a prince. How do you gain power? How do you deal with enemies? How do you deal with subjects? And what he had written, 
it totally you know resonated with my experience because a lot of people who were friendly to me and who were great to me kind of disappeared when you know my ability to you know be a successful actor disappeared and as a kid, you don't see that coming, and you're like, what's going on? Yeah. And Dealmaker's Commandment 1, which I give Machiavelli credit and I totally steal from Machiavelli, is you know, it's better to be <laughs> feared than loved, which Machiavelli discusses. And the reason it's in business, I think, better to be feared than loved is people fear you because they have to, but they love you because they want to. And you need to be able to have uh, a way where you can control other people's behavior. And fear is that mechanism. And the kind of yeah. the more control you have in a transaction, in an entrepreneurial venture, then you're able to kind of shape the world to your own vision. So for me, when I read that, I was like, oh, because as, as an actor, you just want to be loved. I mean, that's the whole idea, you know, to get the applause of, of strangers and, you know, to be <laughs> adored by the masses, you know, that's what you want. Um, and then when the love goes away, I was like, you know, I was like lost. And then I read this book and I was like, that makes sense. Again, that's chapter one. It's better to be feared than love as a business person. And for me, that's kind of the beginning. Like when I read that book, I was like, oh, okay, well, as a business person, this is how you do it. You know, and then I studied the other greats in entertainment, uh, you know, David Geffen and, and, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg yeah. and Mike Ovitz and Louis B. Mayer and, you know, Harry Cohn. And I saw, oh, wow, you know, kind of what were kind of the elements of power that they were able to use to kind of build their empires. So anyways, the book itself is somewhat of a hodgepodge of show business stories and ancient, you know, philosophies and, you know, <laughs> and my life experience. But I think all fit together, uh, all fits together. Yeah, that's great. I think that's cool. And I think Machiavelli would probably appreciate that you stole this stuff. <laughs> yeah, he, he seemed like a cool dude. Yeah. I want to hang with Machiavelli. He'd be cool. Hang with him, not against him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So let's take a quick break here. But we're going to come right back, and we're going to talk more with Jeff Cohen of Cohen Gardner LLP and the author of The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, Ten Essential Tools for Business Forged in the Trenches of Hollywood. Amicus Attorney's world-leading practice management solution allows you to do more, bill more, and go home early. It serves as the hub to your practice, and Amicus customers report that they save over eight hours and bill an extra five hours every week. Built by Lawyers for Lawyers, Amicus has two award-winning solutions, Amicus Premium with a unique client portal and the exciting Amicus Cloud with seamless email integration. To learn more, visit amicusattorney.com. Not getting enough cases from the internet or the kind of cases you want? Scorpion can help. Over the last 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms, just like yours, attract new cases and grow their practice. During this time, Scorpion has won over 100 awards for their law firm web design and online marketing success. Join the thousands of law firms which partner with Scorpion and start getting more cases today. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. All right, everybody. Thanks for coming back. Don't worry. We were here the whole time. Now we're going to return to our conversation about deal making with Jeff Cohen of Cohen Gardner LLP. All right, Jeff, in your book, you talked a little bit about some of your commandments. Can you give an example of one of those applications within your practice? Sure. Um, there are so many. There's so many. Uh, which one to choose? Well, you know what? I'll go with commandment five, which is no pig wrestling. Uh, <laughs> no pig wrestling. Dealmaker's commandment five. Is that from five. the prince? Uh, uh, no, that's me. That's from. That's, 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 uh, well, no, I actually, no. I stole that one as well, but it's not from the prince. 
<laughs> so Dealmaker's Commandment 5 is no pig wrestling. What that means is you never wrestle a pig because you get dirty and the pig enjoys it. <laughs> combat is honor. You know, combat is an exercise of equals. And mm. nothing utilizes your resources like combat. War is basically the most, you know, resource-intense endeavor that human beings, you know, have, right? Look at real war, per se, not economic, but real, you know? People die. It costs a fortune. You know, it never kind of turns out the way you expect it will. It's always, you know, exponentially more costly in blood and treasure. Combat, again, when you engage in combat with someone, you are bestowing honor upon them, you know? A CEO does not negotiate against an intern. A major league, you know, club doesn't play against, you know, a minor league club. Yeah. So, so no pig wrestling is all about opponent selection, battle selection, and, you know, kind of if you can't choose your enemy, if your enemy is thrust upon you, there are various mechanisms to kind of shape your enemy and kind of shape the conditions for victory to kind of make that, you know, successful. But I think people are you know, sometimes are kind of too willing to jump into combat when it is not appropriate. You know, in your mind, you think, oh, the bar fight's going to be, you know, I'm going to hit that guy once, he's going to hit the floor, it's over. Uh, <laughs> if you've ever seen a bar fight, doesn't usually work that way. Doesn't usually work that way. So, so no, no pig wrestling is about kind of marshalling your resources and the honor of combat and opponent selection. This is a good lesson. Bar fights in real life don't happen like bar fights in the movie. They, they, they don't, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Usually pretty sloppy affairs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, another thing you talk about in your book is time management. Sure. And I think this is a really important topic. Why do you think it's so important for lawyers to effectively manage their time? Sure. Um, well, Dealmaker's Commandment 7 is do it, delete it, delegate it. And I think as a dealmaker or as an attorney generally, like time is our commodity, right? That's what we sell. So having a system in place to manage your time, to kind of discover your priorities, to make sure that all of your energy, as much energy as possible, is going towards achieving your A goals, you know, your A1 goal, your A2 goal, your A3 goal. And it's kind of a system that I've, you know, stolen, that I, that I utilize in the book, that I stole from a great book, which is called How to Get Control of Your Time and Life Now by Alan Lakin. So, you know, being able to control your time is just fundamental to being a successful dealmaker. And there's so many you know, I think especially with technology, there's so many, you know, people who are willing to kind of perhaps with a good reason or bad reason, just kind of suck your time away or, you know, come yeah, into absolutely. your office and, you know, take their monkey off of their shoulder and just put it on your desk and bail and be like, you handle this, you know? So, you know, how do you make sure that you're effectively, you know, utilizing your time because that's your resource? Yeah, no, absolutely. That, those are great points. And I think particularly for like solo and small firm attorneys, of which you are one. Yep. Now, let's end with this. So for attorneys out there who sort of want to become deal makers or better deal makers, what are your best two recommendations for them? I would say first, buy the Deal Makers 10 Commandments. Uh, yeah, that's number one. Jeff B. Cohen uh, on Amazon. <laughs> Did I mention I've heard of that guy. Uh, there's an audio book? I can read it to you. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll tell you what I used. I mean, for me, there's so many great biographies out there, you know? So I was like, okay, I want to be a deal maker in entertainment. Who are great deal makers in entertainment? And, you know, studied, you know, David Geffen, Louis B. Mayer, and, you know, Bernie Brillstein has this marvelous book, which is titled, You're No One in Hollywood Until Someone Wants You Dead. <laughs> Uh, you know, so, so I would say I would say the first thing is look at those who've gone before you, 
And I mean, personally, I find the biographies really interesting. So I would say, you know, that's that. And the second is, you know, and I talk about this in the book, you know, success is life on your own terms. And there's a quote by Herbert Baird Swope, which is, I don't know the secret of success, but I know the secret of failure, trying to make everyone else happy. So throughout the book, I kind of have exercises for the reader to kind of discover what you really want, what really excites you, what matters to you, you know, figuring out what those terms are. You know, again, it's success is life on your own terms. So figure out what those terms are and go get it. So here's what I'm going to do, Jeff. I'm going to buy your audio book nice. and I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to listen to it with the kids before they go to sleep. So, nice, nice. Teach the children well. I like that. That's right. Future deal makers of America. Biosmosis. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, this was great. This was a lot of fun. I had a great time talking with you. Sadly, sadly, however, everyone, we've come to an end of another episode of the Legal Toolkit. But don't fret. We'll be back here next month. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic, you can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So our thanks today goes to Jeff B. Cohen of Cohen Gardner LLP for taking the time to drop by the virtual studio to talk about deal making. So Jeff, can you tell folks out there a little bit more about how they can learn about you, your book, your firm? Sure. Thanks, Jared. I'm on uh, Twitter at Jeff. B as in boy, Cohen. Uh, I'm also on Facebook at Jeff B as in boy, Cohen. Also LinkedIn, Jeff B. Cohen. You know, you can check those out. Also, you know, you can go to dealmakerscommandments.com if you want to learn a bit more about the book. And then to learn more about the firm, our website is cohengardnerlaw.com. But I would just say check out Twitter or, or LinkedIn. And I'm always posting like business stuff that I think is fun. Awesome. So buy the book, watch the movie. And I shouldn't say watch the movie. If you haven't yeah, seen Goonies, the movie. it's just un-American. I got, I got needs. Watch the movie. You know, I got the... That's right. Living's expensive out here in L.A. I got the, yeah, buy, buy, buy the merch, man. Come on, Jared. Yeah, buy the merch. Get the T-shirts. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you, Jeff. This is really fun. I, I appreciate you coming on. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks to everybody else out there for listening. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Heidi and Jared for their next podcast, covering the current business trends for law firms. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.